and the Lord gave the lady instructions, he said, don't do this particular thing. And, and that's, as far as that lady's concerned, she's just not supposed to do it. She doesn't need a, an analytical approach to it or God, she didn't need God to explain everything to her. Maybe he should have, but at the end of the day, that don't do this particular thing. And I, I do believe he said, uh, if you do, uh, it will not be beneficial to you or your husband. And that's putting it mildly. So, is that kind of our first uh, first thing from God as far as the law? It absolutely is. Um, and, and, you know, that in and of itself, and, and it's a subject that we're going to be taking on, which we've been discussing as well. And um, But clearly, if we cannot begin with that, uh, you know, story that is, is conveyed for us in story form, basically, in Genesis about uh, Adam and Eve's instruction from God in the garden, um, then we are totally lost because if we cannot make an application of that uh, outside of the story, if you will, of a, a uh, the story of, of uh, of trees and uh, trees bearing fruit and fruit being good for food and so forth. And we can't make the connection between that and a command that says, don't do this and, you know, do not partake of of this. Then I don't, I don't even know how we can progress from there and it's no wonder, quite frankly, humanity hasn't when you think about it. Uh, we may look at all our trinkets and our buildings and, and our edifices and our, uh, you know, whatever, and the bottom line is we're pretty, pretty much ignorant and simple in terms of the reality of things because the comprehension of his magnanimity and his instruction and his natural creation is so far beyond our our wisdom and our contemplation. And so, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and get underway, Russell, because I want us to have the time for this. And some of the things that I, I thought I might bring out in the beginning here uh, I think are important enough that we go ahead and, and get rolling with it. But, you know, as, as I've come to understand the Bible, and certainly the biblical identity of the Israelites of the Bible, and in turn, sinking to uh, abide in his will and the will of Christ, our Redeemer and our Emmanuel, our God with us. Um, well, let me, let me just... Say one thing and then you take it and run with it. I had a little epiphany. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but what I posed to you 
what the going chit-chat is in 2020 amongst the religious world is mixed marriage or biracial marriage or whatever you want to call it, marrying one that's not your kind, sanctioned by God and okay, as long as it's a fellow believer. And that's not even really a stipulation, but people I've talked to, that's their argument. So I believe I have an answer, and when you finish uh, whatever you're going to talk to tonight, I'll tell you tell you what I think the answer is, or whenever you want to hear it, I can tell you now. Oh, oh ab- absolutely. Um no, let's uh, let's hold that thought because I think it's a great thought to basically. Um, uh, it's it's very similar in in the thoughts that I have as well, and perhaps uh, you know we'll open the door up to that thought uh, as as we go along here. Uh, I am in complete agreement with you in terms of that. Um, your audio is perhaps just a little bit fainter for me than in in times past. I just want to put that out to you so you can maybe uh, make sure that you can get clearly to the microphone or whatever and that it comes in a little stronger. But uh, no, absolutely, what you have just conveyed there is, is clearly points that are in my notes as well. And um, uh, But back to the point, even understanding and learning what we've learned in the biblical record, now more than ever, and in this politically charged modern idea of racism, there's little which is more infuriating to witness one of God's Christian people abused and bullied by the very hypocritical professing Christians of this Judeo-Christianity that has emerged from sea to shining sea in the United States and certainly in nations all around the globe, and specifically Christian nations or biblical Israelite nations. Oh, what I forgot to tell you, how is this audio, by the way? That's good. Okay. Let me leave this, too, on the table. You had told me many years ago that we needed to realize our commission as Christians. And so I had told you, well, Doug, what if we're successful with our commission? He said, well, what, where are you going with this? And I said, well, what if we were such good Christian people that we started influencing people of other nations, foreigners? and uh, converted them to the path, salvation. Mm-hmm. And and so at that point, where do we stand on this, on this intermixing races? So I'll, I'll, I'll let you go now, because I wanted to have that out there for people to be thinking about. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I say when, when, when this is, in this time and so forth where it has become so charged and it and it really is something that has been created in the last 
75 years, maybe we could safely say even 100 years, because I know in the early 1900s, 1910, 20, uh, it was clearly being done by the sons of Esau Edom. Um, and they were uh, definite protagonists uh, to see to it that it, it got its, it, its roots. And, you know, I look at it as really abusing and bullying, as I say, and, and by the very hypocritical professing Christians, um, and simply just because one's view does not align with their worldview. And if there's nothing more important in the biblical record to learn is God has conveyed to us routinely my worldview is not your worldview. Amen. So if, if our worldview is not aligning with God, it's a good indication that our worldview is incorrect, not the other way around. However, that's not the way that it is. The way that it is is you and others like you have a twisted worldview because, as I told you the other morning, as I listened to one of the talk show guys start telling me about the end times and the Antichrist of Revelation, which they cannot point to a single scripture in Revelation that describes the, the Antichrist. And yet, he goes on the air and parrots everything that he's learned and, and is, is burping it out from the Judeo-Christian church world, world view. And, it, and you find yourself listening and hearing and saying, he, he had a caller that called in after. I know I mentioned this to you. And I only caught a few minutes of him because I was getting my milk. So I caught a little bit before I stopped to get my milk, and then after I got my milk, there was a caller that was being basically upbraided toward the end of his, his comments, and the caller says what he says, which is contrary to the commentator on the radio broadcast uh, host, and the broadcast host says, well, Essentially, you disagree with, with what 90% of the rest of the Christian world agrees with. And I thought, you know, with an answer like that, you know, it's no wonder we're in the shape we are in because he couldn't refute, I sense that he could not refute because the, the caller did get a few words in edgewise, and I sense that the caller was refuting his diatribe on the Antichrist from the Judeo-Christian church world perspective and worldview. And uh, he wasn't going to have any of it. The host wasn't. And so then the way that he did it was he chose to categorically cast him out as an infidel, as a heretic, as whatever, uh, and, and therefore not in agreement with the 90%. Now, I know that was a long way around getting where I was trying to go, but you know, we've spoke about this subject in the past, and I know that uh, Isaac and I have had the discussions. Uh, it's it came up as, as a topic of headlines and so forth that, that we've considered having it as a topic. Uh, 
a topic, but basically young women and men, Christian women and men, are literally, in my view, becoming the target of incendiary, hypocritical Christian racism. Uh-huh. And because they're vulnerable. They're, well, not only are they vulnerable, but this is what, this is what they complain of their political system doing. You know, the right versus the left, the conservatives versus the liberal, constitutionalism versus unconstitutionalism. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But never do they talk about biblical correctness versus worldview Christian correctness or whatever you want to call it. But I think we've made the point. And, you know, I'm angrier now than at the first signs that I heard and saw about this hypocritical racism. Uh, you know, I'm going to call it hypocritical Christian racism. Because that's what I see it is. Hearing these stories over the years about those in Christian circles who have taken a different worldview. It's similar to the Amish having a different view, biblically, than, we shall say, the Judeo-Christian church world of today. They are both different views. Whether one is correct or the other, the only way we can ascertain that is through the word. That's the only way we can ascertain it. And I venture to say that it won't be done because we're just religionists for the most part. Uh huh. Yeah. Really not, really not interested in fully grasping the concept. And here, in my mind, in some respects, is where it begins, at least as it pertains to marriage. And you know, you you brought it out this this idea that marriages between other races by the church world, there is absolutely nothing, they claim, that is unbiblical or is a sin. I like the way they always use the word sin. And so I thought I would choose to approach it a little bit from the male gender part of it for the purpose of the discussion a little bit as I get underway. And let's just think about this. So, what, you know, let's take it from an example of, uh, of, a, of a parent's son. And your son is interested in another woman's daughter. And both are professing Christians. But the son wishes for her hand in marriage, and each mutually are desirous of an engagement. However, while both are professing Christians, each have been taught differently about the biblical record. And this should be no surprise since there's 50,000 churches and out of that there's roughly 1,000 different denominational classifications and each of those with a number of divided beliefs themselves. So before before these two can even begin to contemplate a life together, their biblical view has serious impediments to its success because the church has likely not taught them Anything. Let me just give you some examples. Well, before you 
before you do, can I read one quick scripture? Sure. Genesis, which means the beginning, right? Exactly. Chapter 1, verse 12, and the earth brought forth vegetation. Well, as Doug always said, we need to put this in context. Then God said, that's the creator, right? That's he said, right. Let the earth sprout vegetation. And, and in 12, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God said that it was good. I just thought that'd be a good launching point. It is, and and I have more on that uh, that aspect of of the kind. Uh, but what I was what I was getting at is the serious impediments. For example, does one or the other know who are desirous of this engagement and union? that there's more than a dozen prohibited unions according to the Bible. What about a half a dozen? Repeat that again. I said more than a dozen prohibited unions according to the Bible. And what about a half dozen prohibitions regarding divorce? How about nearly a dozen concerning fornication, and premarital immorality? Or what about God's views on adultery, which is to mix or adulterate the marriage bed? What about God's divine principles of marriage? What does the son, in this example, know and understand about his duties the wife or the daughter's duty to the man who is to be her proposed husband I got to tell you that the answer for many a parent has got to be me I didn't I didn't know God had so much to say about marriage mm-hmm. yeah I don't, I don't think the counselor brings this up and let me continue. Does the future husband know anything about more than a dozen parental duties for his soon-to-be children? Does he or she, either one, understand God's requirement of them as children of their parents and able to teach them then to their children? What do they know about God's view on rebellious? children what about God's view on educating those children are they aware of another dozen or more requirements concerning inheritance economic benefits which are to accrue to the children no no of course not you're talking me out of marriage now exactly the church hasn't taught any of this as Very well. 
And I would say that most of those would agree that a Christian is certainly to honor their father and their mother. Mm-hmm. Now, suppose the two young individuals decide to study these foundational principles recorded in the Bible during a long courtship for determining their willingness and capacity of understanding and applying them as that courtship ensues. But imagine now, as the study progresses, a number of concerns arise from this record, and there's differences of understanding which develop. Imagine your son then telling the daughter of the other man her understanding of the biblical prohibitions on divorce or child education or a number of economic considerations, they're just not consistent with his understanding on these or many other subjects. What's the couple to do? And suppose even further that your son comes home one day and says, I just don't understand the way she thinks. She thinks the Bible says everything opposite of what I think the Bible says. Well, welcome to Courtship 101 and marriage in general. However, I can 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 assure you, you, go ahead. Can you imagine how much better off we'd be in this country? If this was a counseling session prior to marriage, what you're talking about now. As I was going to say, I can assure you working out the differences that they are experiencing is essential mm-hmm. to the family unit. Uh-huh. A, house, a house divided cannot stand. Amen. And wouldn't and wouldn't you know it, says your son. He thinks the Bible prohibits marriage of her children to one of another race, and her parents, I think, taught her that. And then he says, I think she's a racist. <laughs> oh, no. Probably her parents, too. You know, this is happening to our youth all across America and a host of nations everywhere. And just 40 or 50 years ago, that world view, if you will, that biblical view, that cultural view was not in the least bit, quote, racist, end quote. But it was not only... it was not only a cultural norm, but it was considered a respect of each other's ethnicity. Been yeah. changed today to be race. There was laws on the books supporting it. Not only laws on the books, this has been the cultural norm for thousands of years. But of course, we must understand that the youth 
are now more educated than our Neanderthal ancestors over the past five or six thousand years. That's right, because they've they've taken psychology one oh one and one oh two. It reminds me of what you said at the very first part of this, Russell. Doesn't this kind of bring you back to the garden and God saying, don't do this? But was not Adam and Eve a younger generation than God? Well, we think. He'd been around a while creating, hadn't he? Uh, yeah, to, to my understanding, he he was there before they were. <laughs> so he might have known something they didn't know. And oh. so it is, yeah, and so it is that we find the necessity of grappling with this topic for the sake of our youth and the ways of the world which are not God's ways. And the minute you talk about stuff like this, people will invariably look at you and say, well, who are you? Mm -hmm. Oh, so you're a master of your destiny and your understanding and all the rest of that. And I hope nobody misinterprets the tone of my voice because I'm animated when I speak. And I have multitudes of inflections and so forth as to, how I'm trying to carry the thought and make the point and address a concern. But, you know, we see Christians being bullied in every practical sense of the word because their biblical study and their understanding now is in conflict with the world's views. Yeah. And I Guess say, what? I say, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Now our objective in that praise and God, of praising God and giving glory to God is now we have duties and responsibilities, just like you said, Russell, that great commission. Genesis 1.24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. This distinction and purposeful record of kind after kind was so intentional by our God, but it escapes the modern faculties of our minds. Yeah, that's very interesting because I never noticed this in that scripture. It says, and beast of the earth. And you, you can clearly look up that word beast, and um, it includes humans. And that word that was used to, to, to say the word beast, it, uh, it's, it says one of the lower animals, uh, a brute, <laughs> And uh, so anyway, I've I've looked that up before, and um, some way you can, if you start searching out that word beast, 
find out that it has an application to humans. Yeah. It says after their time. Uh, made the beasts of the earth after their kind. Now, I'm using an American standard, I think. Uh, New American standard. I don't know what the King James says. But anyway, continue. There's a lot of words in there about kind, isn't there? There sure is. There sure is. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 7, specifically, you know. But again, centuries, millenniums, the people of earth have predominantly adhered to this fundamental biblical principle, the principle being the word kind. It's M-I-N in the Hebrew, and it is not equal to our word species. I think that's, I think sometimes our people are prone to being drawn into some arguments that aren't correct. See, a species is birds. But in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 16 to 17, God himself conveys to us that there are different kinds of birds. There's short-eared owls, the seagulls, the little owl, the ostrich, just in that scripture. But just because these are all birds, they are not capable of passing what amounts to the genetic code or information necessary for the production of descendants of the same kind. Was that clear enough, Rich, do you think? I think it's pretty easy to understand. Horses and donkeys are in the same family, but they belong to different species. Humans, say scientists, are closely related. Well, shazam! Of course they are. They're humans. Birds are closely related, but the robin doesn't mate with the eagle just because they are birds and closely related. Just because today the world wants you to believe that there is one kind of humans, they propagate that we should lie down with each and mate. And why should, would a they... young man, should a young man or a woman want for her mate or his mate to respect that biblical instruction, why should that individual, he or she, be labeled and bullied and called a racist? Should acquaintances of different races subsequently no longer desire to be acquainted with the racist, 
Well, that is just pure hypocrisy. Absolutely. Because the D- they they use the they use the pro- proclamation that you're not a very good person if you believe that you're a bad person. The reality is the bad person is the bully. Certainly, it's the person who claims to have an open mind, but yet rejects your open mind. And that's why I'm referring to this as Christian racism. I couldn't pull up my tabs from my other computer. For some reason, it didn't update or something. But I looked up racism, and and Jeremiah, you could perhaps do it um, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Just type in definition of racism, and you will probably find in the first three or four um, results, there will be an ADL um, definition, a definition from the Anti-Defamation League. Um, And you'll get one that will pop up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the importance is is that 90% of these people spouting this racialism and racism uh, uh, con- and affixing this racism connotation do not even understand or know what the definition of the word is. Because if they had the definition of the word, and then you would ask them, So now that you've heard the definition of the word, and then you would, of course, have to use the definition in your question, and you'd say, does this person that you have known for the last five years in any way, and has that person in any way ever intimated that they are of a superior knowledge, or that they are of a superior intellect, or that they are a superior race? or any one of those words that are used in that definition of racism. And their answer would unequivocally have to be no, because there are very few people who actually fit that definition. But that definition is the definition that they apply to as many as they can apply it that they desire to apply it to. And I think that they're describing themselves when they define the word. You know what I mean? They they fit the definition because they therefore are now perceiving themselves as superior to the one that they say is the racist. Exactly. Exactly. They are narcissists. I found yeah, that uh, definition. Would you like me to read it? Yeah, give us that definition, Jeremiah. All right. Racism is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another, that a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. We didn't definition. Want we didn't want you to read the definition of the Jews. We already know what they are. 
you know. Uh, well, and, and we have to be cautious and careful because, of course, the Jew does perceive himself as superior. They say so. And I was going to say, before Jeremiah read that definition, isn't that what Pastor Peters taught us? He said, they always accuse you of what it is that they are or what it is that they do. Now, let me continue. Let me continue with another thought, and then we'll break this open. The DNA profile of a monkey and a baby who is white are almost 99% the same. So what if your son told his soon-to-be wife that he's courting at some future date in your life, that he wanted his children to have the option of mating with monkeys? <laughs> I would. Would he, be would he be considered a racist or would he be considered a kook? Or would he just be considered a multicultural, diversified, well-rounded young man? Well, it's total so, hypocrisy and insidious. Go ahead, Russell. I've got a better one. Suppose your child comes home and has fallen in love with this wonderful fellow and finds out he's a Christian pedophile. He can back it all up, and that's really. Well, what's she doing with a what's she doing with a Roman Catholic priest? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are nothing more than the world's labels, and the youth are being inundated by these these labels. And all I can say to the youth is, you know, when our Savior, our God in the flesh, so loved us that he allowed himself to be pierced through with nails in his hands and his feet, nailed to a cross, and that cross lifted up and dropped in a hole. He hung there. And as the crowd spewed vile names, spit upon him. That's all I can say. When you get those names hurled at you, you think of your Redeemer. You say, nothing compares. Nothing compares. It's the world's view. It's hypocrisy. But see, as long as these youth embrace the world's view, then, Will they be accepted? 
be put on a pedestal. But the label, the condescension which strikes at the love, striking at the love of God, Christian's heart. And it's to be understood that those casting the stones, which unjustly accused, without a biblical witness, without the record on their side, they say, just despise your parents. And what's more, despise God. It's our duty and each of their individual duties to fully comprehend as our youth intend to create their own Christian family, a communion with God at its head. However, what if your son is saying something like, well, I am its head of the family. All I can say is to the young lady and say, wait a minute. I will accept you as my head if you first will accept God as your head. Church world rejects these principles of God because they will not study them to understand them so they can teach them. They've turned over the teaching of the children to the classroom of the world. It promotes rebellion and rebellious children because that's exactly what this is. The modern church world necessarily, rather I should say incessantly, bangs the drum that those seeking to marry, just as Russell said in the opening statements here, that to marry one of another ethnicity is not a sin. And that's what I've found is they always use the word it's not a sin. Because the sin conjures up in the mind of the believer sin. And most believers do not want to be sinners. And most Christians today believe that they're not sinners. 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is a transgression of the law. And Russell... You said, doesn't this take us back to Genesis and the garden? If God instructed Eve and Adam not to do a certain thing and to do a certain thing, this is a command. Is a command not the law? Certainly his will. Kind after kind is as natural a law as God could inscribe on stone. And it's everywhere evident in his creation. 
But, you know, as I contemplated the thoughts of this, Russell, all I could think about was that how do we even get from point number one to point number two if point number one cannot even be agreed upon that it even exists, much less what it means since it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know what you mean. And don't you just love how the Christians will always cite scriptures to prove the point. Moses married an Ethiopian. Jesus Christ himself was an offspring from ancestry that was of mixed race. And they go on and on and on. But they never stop and ask themselves this question. Wait a minute. Just because man did something in violation of a command or law, how am I authorized to use that as a proof text of acceptability? but they invariably do it, and that's why it's hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 14 records a New Testament account of one of the preeminent violations of law. It was the law concerning the adverse of marriage, divorce. John the Baptist's views on it got him beheaded. But Christ confirmed that John the Baptist's worldview was correct. One might say his biblical view was correct. I bring this up because I like, Russell, the way you do that with me many, many times is that adverse usage in order to bring home the sufficiency and usefulness of the command or the law. And so I did it with marriage. If nearly 53% of all marriages in the U.S end in divorce, and 41% of those being first marriages, 60% of them being second marriages, and 75% of them being third marriages. That's two and a half million divorces a year. And 70% of those will end sometime in 40 years, usually within eight years. 
and an average 30-year-old age. And 38% of those 53% of divorces in the United States will be those who are not aligned with a Christian belief. 37% of those will be those with liberal beliefs. 73% will divorce because of a lack of commitment. 56% because they argue too much. 55% because of fornication, adultery in the marriage bed. And 60% who marry at ages 20 to 25, and it'll drop about 20% as they get over 25 to about 40%. My point in this exercise is the Word of God is against this consequence of lawlessness as it pertains to marriage. Yet the same church world has done little to discourage that which precipitates it. Again, hypocrites. You see, a senselessness to a discussion at all about ethnicity in a union of marriage when 99% of the more relative and pertinent aspects of what constitutes a biblical marriage union receives little, if any, discussion or deliberation at all. It's almost like it's planned that way. Well, whether it's planned that way or not, one has to agree that if God does not want divorce, we have a lot of work to figure out what it is we're missing so that we can stop propitiating it. And it almost seems to me the least of the concerns is whether or not, I know some people will not like to hear it, whether or not one's ethnicity enters the equation at all. My point being, certainly not to say that it's acceptable, but to focus the attention on something that is obviously a problem and is not being addressed. And if those were addressed, I dare say we would no longer have the discussion that's being discussed today because it would be a shame unto these professing Christians to not know and understand all that God desires and wants in a true biblical union, of which the vast majority of them, as I started out, would not even know that any of those things exist. And so it's great when we find our, our, our children, our youth, our young youth, 
beginning a study and walking through the scriptures to learn what they can about their marriage, their pro- proposed marriage, their, their soon-to-be family unit, and all the rest of it. And I dare say it ought to be a, a very wide awakening of their eyes to many of the things that they did not know or understand. So where do we begin, Russell? Do we begin at, you know, Genesis 28, 6? Well, you Genesis know, you, 6, go ahead. You brought up a really good point. And a uh, great point, actually, is, is the marriage is predicated on something. We always call it love, right? Yeah. So, but really, it's much more than that. And you listed a lot of issues there that are never even thought of. Way, be- way before you start thinking about these other issues. And, um, you know, why aren't those things discussed? Somebody sipping a shake. <laughs> it does. It does sound pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, every church ought to have a class on this and go through all this. I mean, this ought to be pre-marriage one hundred and one. But it's not, is it? No, no, it's not. And 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 as I say, you know, you talk about love, Russell. And, and honestly, after we spoke the other day and and thought about bringing this topic up, I can't tell you the number of times that my thoughts went to the aspect of love. Just flipping over to Ephesians chapter five, because, like I said, where do we go, Russell? You know, we can go to scriptures that 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 we can point to about. God uh, instructing Israel to not intermarry into other uh, peoples. And, of course, the church world will immediately refute all that and say, yeah, they didn't want them to. He didn't want them to because they would be, you know, potential they would go after other gods. And that, that's why the church's, you know, uh, uh, position on this and, and teaching doctrine is, that you should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers lest they, you know, draw you away from worshiping and and serving your God. Well, wait a minute. One of the first aspects of serving your God is to love. The greatest commandment we are told by Christ himself was to love God above all else. And the second was like unto it, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is why I look at this hypocritical uh, Christian racism is because the true meaning of loving someone in the Christian body is to hear them out. Mm -hmm. And if they are reading to you from the scripture and you will not hear them out, but rather 
you make your own interpretations and have chosen your own worldview interpretations rather than the clear and literal interpretation of the Bible. And as I say, before you even get to a matter of whether or not ethnicity should enter into the picture at all, you have a whole lot of other things to consider. And I guarantee you that if you were to consider the multitude, dozens of those things, I don't even think there would be a question of whether or not you would marry somebody of another ethnicity or not. And that's what's so hypocritical about it. It's not a matter of, well, gee, then I now realize my superiority and therefore I would not, I would not even think and consider marrying into uh, another's race or that I would want my children to marry into another race, that would be the furthest thing from your mind is my point. And as I contemplated on love, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Paul, to the Ephesians, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather of giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be you not partakers, therefore, with them. Well, Russell, your worldview uh, regarding the Antichrist is completely out of phase with 90% of the Christian world today. I know. Weird. You could say that about God's point of view, couldn't you? So, as I say, we could go to Genesis chapter 6. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, which means it was not corrupted. And there's no escaping the fact that from Genesis 12 on to the end of the Bible proceeds a record of ethnological history ethnological history nearly unmatched by any other of any peoples known the world over. And it is an ethnological history of the people known as Israelites, Abraham's people. Abraham himself instructed his eldest son to find his son Isaac a wife 
not from the Canaanites of Genesis 24, 2, and 3. Genesis 33, 16, Moses made a separation of all the people on the face of the earth. But I guess the church world just thinks that we're racist. Well, well you know, in, in my case, and this was brought to my attention, I wanted a verse. I wanted something straight out of Leviticus. Uh, because because I knew that there was a scripture and it said don't tattoo yourself. God said don't tattoo your body. There's no gray area there, is there, Doug? No. Okay, and then and then you go over here and you can read Do it is unclean to eat pig. That's not my idea. That's straight out of Leviticus 11. Okay? So I wanted something in there that said, don't marry Asians or Negroes. You know, I'm thinking there's got to be something in there that clear. And and I listened to to two or three hours of Peter J. Peters and Ted Weiland, and I wanted to see what they thought about it. And none of them, none of them came up to the conclusion that I came up with. You want to hear it? I do. That's and the purpose. They, they were all over the Bible with their their supporting scriptures of why. Why the, the white shouldn't make or marry the Negro or the Asian. And I came to this conclusion right here. And I told it to you somewhere back. What if we were really carrying out our commission? What would happen? And this thought occurred to me. The black families would be telling their black children, you don't marry a white person, wouldn't they? If they were godly people, Christian people that understood this word, they would not be wanting their children mating with not their kind because that's God's position, isn't it? It is. And same with the Asians. You don't, you don't go, you don't marry these people. It's not the right thing to do, and it will make their race healthier, healthier race, less disease, less problems. And, and if we're if we're carrying out our commission. They're on to this word of God, and they're reading it just like Doug Nelson and Russell. And they're coming to the same conclusion. Why am I crazy to believe that, Doug? 
Uh, because the word says it. <laughs> I mean, and, honestly, you know, that, that's the answer. Because the word says it, you've got to be crazy. Because the yeah. word does say that. The, the, the scripture tells us that in so doing, according to the will of the natural creator, according to his plan and creation, he says by doing that, the other nations will see and they will want to model themselves like you. Who, who is it that's constantly telling us these other races are weak or bad or, or need help? You know, if I was a black man, I'd be furious at these so-called modern-day Jews that follow the Talmud, they're the ones putting down these other races constantly, telling them they need money from Uncle Sam. They're too stupid to, to, do, to live their life. They've got to be integrated because they're stupid people. That's not God's people saying that. That's some other whitey somewhere. But it's not God's way, is it? No. And and God said, you know, do not think of yourself as being better. He said, don't, I didn't do this with you because you were greater in number or that you, something you did of yourself. In fact, he showed the whole world, look, these people were so sinful and so violative of my commands and so arrogant toward my will and the will uh, for the entire world that I had well, to show the entire that I had to show the entire world how despicable they were, and he came and laid down his life to rescue them and to bring them back unto him, that it would show the whole world this God of creation and his genuine love and the genuineness of his word and the validity of it for all ages. Yeah, I I agree with you. You think that, and I think that they are. I was talking to Brother Ken today, and he said, you know, when you look at blacks across Africa right now, they're not a friend to Bill Gates. And, and these kind of ilk that, that we're seeing. They're rising up against it. They have seen what their vaccinations have done in destroying their women. Let me, let me read. Then, go ahead. No, go ahead. Leviticus, Leviticus 19, verse 33. When a stranger resides with you in your land, okay, I would say that's an issue today. You shall not do him wrong. That means treat him unfairly, unjustly. Exactly. 34, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the, as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, if we're going to love 
these non-white people, can you think of a greater love than to tell them about our God and what he expects out of people? Absolutely. And And it's obvious from a divorce rate that we're not doing a very good job of teaching them about marriage, are we? Not at all. Or parenting. And and I might and I might add that that divorce rate really is not measurably different between black uh, the black uh, race the white uh, ethnicity black ethnicity Asian ethnicity it, it the you know it's smaller obviously but that also has to do with the sheer numbers so if there's less Asian ethnicity in America, uh, that percentage is going to be smaller. But in in the number of of marriages ending in divorce, um, there there's it, it knows no race. I guess is kind of my point. It it doesn't it doesn't seem to you know favor one over another. So the point is exactly what you're saying, Russell is. We're obviously doing a poor job of teaching in the land the things that, and and so this is why I said a couple of weeks ago, praise God for what's happening in America because there are many of these people who are bringing up issues that those who are actually biblical Israelites are not bringing up. And yep. they are not raising uh, they are not raising those issues as being oppressive, and so they are right to cry out. They are just as right to cry out as we are right to cry out when we are oppressed. Yeah, and, and this thought occurred to me. You know, they're wanting apologies from white people all over the land, and I'm talking about our enemies, and I'm talking about for wrong reasons. Right. What I say is right here and now I've been guilty of not telling them about my God I'm guilty of that I've kept it to myself now I've told some but I could have told a lot more so if they want an apology there's a good one from me I needed to do better but on, on the other hand our first ministry is our family and our people. And we've failed miserably with that one, haven't we? Mm, yes. So my point being, hang on, guys. We'll get there. I just don't know when. Well, and back to Leviticus 19.34, because I had that scripture marked as well, but I went beyond that scripture. Verse 35, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Amen. Now, the one thing... Wait a second, Doug. The the thing that you... Hold on, let me catch this thought. See, the thing you said about um, not doing things... uh, Let's see, what did you say? You said uh, not doing things uh, correctly in teaching, okay? 
once again, how they have the enemies, as you said, the enemies that are doing it for the purposes and reasons. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Let's think about that thought. Doing no unrighteousness in judgment, I'm not talking about a police officer arresting somebody. I'm not talking about, I'm, what I'm talking about is do no unrighteousness in judgment, meaning that God wants the righteous judgment. We have imprisoned people when the Bible does not allow for such a thing. Back to your point about teaching the law. We have not required restitution. We have not taught the wonderful ways of God, and therefore, we have not treated them the same. But the minute you say that all those you know, around would look at you and think, well, gee, obviously you're one of those who doesn't care about your own white race, and it's the furthest thing from my mind if they will open their mind and be receptive to the beauty of God's word and the, the righteousness of the judgments in God's word, they could more fully comprehend the unrighteousness that befalls those of another ethnicity as well as those of our own ethnicity. It's kind of like this. What are you complaining about? when you're participating in it. I was going to bring this out. You said in 35, you shall do no wrong in judgment. And I was going to tell you, Doug, read it again. You shall do right. In judgment, exactly. Judge righteously. And when that judgment's made righteously, all these races should come together and go, he needs to be punished. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And if they understood, and I think some of them do, I think more of them understand more than some of those biblical Israelites of today understand what righteousness in meat yard, in weight, or in measure. The, yeah. this, system of un, this system of unjust weights and measures that's been foisted on us since 1900, and sons and daughters have, have been uh, sacrificed in order for them to put this yoke upon us, of these unjust weights and measures, unjust balances, unjust weights, a just ephah, a just hen shall you have. I am the Lord your God. We don't have a just monetary system. Yeah. I, I said when the guy, when the video came out, turned the nation in, in a pithy, I said America is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, right? And I said, if this is such an earth-changing event, why in the world would you put this off? Why couldn't you move it till the next day? 
get the guy on trial and start gathering facts. And if it all led to a murder, punish the man so all could see. Hang him. I don't care how they do it. I don't care what color he is. But why in this unjust society that we live in do we drag these trials out for years and years and years? When we had, we were told he was guilty, weren't we, Doug? Uh, everybody that I heard anything about it, uh, as I said, I still have not watched the video, but everything that I have heard on radio or snippets of news, uh, top of the hour, every single thing has convicted the the individual and um why haven't we had a trial answer me that it's kind of a big deal the answer from my perspective is that um we have to allow for uh plenty of time to pass so that it's not fresh in anybody's mind anymore um and a suitable um uh, other intentions by the children of wickedness are able to be carried out in the in the meantime. So, um, you know, milk it for every drop of milk they can get, because they are not righteous in judgment. They don't have just balances and just weights, do they? They're tilted. No. That's what you get when you get the bar involved. You get tilted justice. And see, this is the point I'm trying to make. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, we ought to be big enough people to say, those guys are smarter than we are. Well, they're definitely eviler. No, I'm saying those guys are smarter than we are because they have recognized the oppression and we as professing Christians can't even recognize it. You see my point? Yeah, I do. I, you're talking about... And, yeah. Yeah. And so no, none of us none of us are justifying the activities of destruction and so forth, but to raise their voice in objection of the oppression, absolutely 100%. And that's what I mean. We have not seen amongst our brethren widespread objection to the oppression at all. Even though everybody knows when they walk out the door and go to the grocery store, they're getting less in every package, and they're paying three and four times more than they did just eight years ago. So who's who's smarter? Who's smarter? Who's of superior intelligence here? I got to say... There's times, like Brother Ken said to me today, you know, when you step back and look at a few things, they're actually picking up on things, you know, a lot better than we are as a people. 
and certainly are willing to stand up and voice in opposition to those who are striking them, but not so here in America, not so with our Israelite brethren nearly all over the world. So when will you know there be a rising up? Now I know we got off point. It's top of the hour. We got off. We didn't really get off point, but we got somewhat um, off point with regards to the events of the day being drawn into it. But it is the events of the day that have actually created the catalyst for the discussion that we've had, which is our young people being bullied by our own supposed Christian brethren. And, you know, we could go to 1 Corinthians, we could go to, you know, Paul's epistle to, to uh, the Ephesians, to the Galatians, you know, uh, any one a number of these. We can go to the book of John, we can go to the book of Mark, we can go to these words of Christ regarding love and so forth. And, and we have to recognize, if we're honest, that as a Christian, to do this to another Christian and to cast them as the epitome of evilness and wickedness in order to bully them into acquiescing and accepting the world view is a problem. It's a huge, serious problem. So, so remember, my, remember what you ahead. said last week. Remember what you said several times that Jesus said to these people that bragged about all their accomplishments, I don't even know who you are, you worker of lawlessness. And so there is a lot of people who think they're Christians that are not Christians, correct? It is. So maybe they're the ones casting the stones, thinking they're doing Jesus a big favor. Well, if they are judging without righteous judgment, as you just told us in Leviticus, shared with us the record there, I can guarantee you, that, you know, I always think about when Christ said, you know, who bears the greater sin? He, you know, he said that, that the one that delivered him up bore the greater sin. And, um, you know, I would be very careful if I were a Christian and I was delivering up my Christian sister or brother into unrighteous judgment. I would be very, very, very careful. Amen. So, scriptural context. Deuteronomy 7, 1 to 3. There were a number of those that were excluded from marriage. Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites. Girgashites, Jebusites, Perizzites, Amorites, Jebusites. I said Jebusites. Deuteronomy 23, 4-8. Ammonites, Moabites, even under the 10th generation. Okay, Doug. That is all true. But those were all people that God said that they would turn them away from their God. Well, let me just ask you one question, dear Christian. 
if there is one professing to be a Christian attending to turn one other Christian away from their God and what they believe their God says with regards to how they are supposed to educate their children and to turn their children out into relationships after their kind. And I would say that that Christian is the same as a Canaanite, a Hittite, a Hivite, a Girgashite, a Jebusite, a Perizzite, an Amorite, a Moabite, an Ammonite. Bingo! Because they're turning them away from God. That is exactly right. And this is where the Christian shows their hypocritical stance. They have not even contemplated and thought their own statements through. And that truly is one of these other things. Remember the fruits of the Spirit. Because once again, that is not a fruit of the Spirit of God. To turn one of his away who is trying in every conceivable way to love God with all their heart and to love, honor, and obey their parents. And I've got to tell you something. Isaac was more honorable than me. Isaac sat down one time with me and told me how hard he worked, or maybe that's not the word, how much consideration he engaged in, in finding a mate that he found suitable in his estimation to his mother and his father. And he talked to me about that. And the reason I say he was more honorable than me is because I really didn't consider that he should consider it that much. And I, and, and I know I'm, I'm not saying this very well. Um, not that I never thought about that. My point oh, is, is that... I hear, I hear what you're saying. That's probably due to to uh, his upbringing, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's what I mean is that I I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. I guess was 
that's not even the right thing to say. I don't even know. I, I just, I, I thought, you know, he was more honorable me than me in, in how, how much consideration he, he gave to that. And he put a lot of weight on you. Uh, he considered heavily your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's honor. That's honoring his parents. Yeah. Judy, I'm sure too. Yeah, well, and see, I think in some respects that's why I feel like he was more honorable me, than me because I, I, I maybe considered it too cavalierly. And, and as I say, I don't know that I have the right emotion to express what I'm trying to express and how to sufficiently state it. But I think as fathers and men, you guys probably understand what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it, it was profound, I guess, as Brother Paul used to sometimes say to me, it, it was profound, you know, it, and it, it made me recognize or humbled me in, in that I had not, um, you know, the, that I had, had not considered how much consideration, I guess, that he was going to put into that, you know. And, and that's very, that was very, very honoring and, and, uh, and humbling uh, because it, I felt, I felt as I said that he was more honorable than me in the way he approached it. You know, I think certainly in my case, it, it probably wasn't brought up to my attention very much growing up. This whole idea of honoring your parents very noble and beneficial thing to do. Well, and that, that's one of the key points that I wanted to clarify, too, on this kind of uh, Christian racism, because um, they do put themselves in a pinnacle as being over and uh, more highly esteemed when they do that. And it, they fit the definition of racism, you know, in, in many respects, and that's why I've termed it that, and so as I, I've, as I considered the topics and so forth, it, it just seems natural that we call it what it is, um, and that we recognize that not only have they rejected God because they do not believe his word, but they've also rejected the parent of either of the children who have taught them the best way they knew about what is in that biblical record. And in, and in that sense, they despise on two accounts. And I want you to consider this before we end. Consider this. Anyone experiencing this Christian racism has already been marked and tainted. Because that is very, very difficult to ever be able to overcome it. Yeah, it's called slander. And the only, only, only way that it could possibly be overcome is with sincere, genuine repentance of having done this against 
one's Christian brother or sister. And on that one. Well, Brother Rich, how about you start a prayer in closing for us and see where we go from there. Okay. Uh, Heavenly Father, things get more and more interesting. We need your power. We need your love, your mercy over us and our family. We need your protection and your blessings, your wisdom and your discernment. Asking for a lot, but I think we're going to need every bit of it. Hallelujah. Amen. Lord God, watch over our families, keep them warm in the winter, cool in the summer, well fed. Lord God, keep them in the palm of your hand. Lord God, let your wrath fall down on our enemies. Take them out. Let their wives be widows, their children be orphans. Let them beg in the streets and be no more in this generation. Those that hate us and hate you, Father, give them what they deserve. You are a righteous judge. Pray for all the right reasons and give us repentance and our brothers' repentance. We can become a holy race once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I uh, yes, Heavenly Father, how I pray that your word, pray, Father, that your word, as we tried to express through this fellowship tonight, will be a benefit to any who would hear it. And those that are seeing this amongst the youth will be inspired by the message to send it on, that it will go out and that it will be an inspiration to the, to the youth. Father, as you have told us, the judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Father, if it is not to begin at the house of those who profess to be Christians, then I don't know how we can expect you to hear our pleas and our cries of protection and intervention. Father, the statistics that we cited here in this fellowship tonight regarding the cavalier idea and worldview on divorce. Just that one in and of itself. Where two or more, you said, I correct myself, you said, a man shall leave his father and mother. And the woman leaves their father and mother and the two become one flesh, united in a communion with you. And that no man is to take asunder what you've put together. So either you have not put these unions together or man is taking them asunder. Amen. It's one, it's one of the two. One or the other. And we sit here with our youth 
being faced with the proposition of being bullied because they want to believe you and they want to love you and they want to abide in your will. So, Father, as Brother Rich said, protect our children. Protect our children. We ask it. We seek it. We desire it. Forgive us, Father, for our sins, the sins of uh, of our nation, the sins of our forebearers, that we might be once again renewed unto you and fortified in that commission that we've talked about tonight as well. Thank you, Father. Here in the prayer, needs of your people. Yeah. Lord, I want to add this, finalize this prayer. Father, we ask you to grant immunity to those that believe and follow you from this wicked thing that's going around the country, whatever it is. Oh, They've got all kinds of names from it. Protect us from it, Lord, so that we may boldly stand up and not fear it. And when they say, why aren't you scared? Why aren't you afraid? We boldly proclaim that you're going to take care of us. Well, and we don't have any faith in masks and social distancing and all those things they worship. Lord, we, we worship you and we thank you. Just protect us, Jesus. In your holy name we ask that. Amen. 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 Yes, indeed, brothers. Amen. Well, once again, enjoy the time, the fellowship of y'all. Good night. Well, thank you, Doug. Good night, everybody. Good night.